I'm Tabby Smiley. Glad to have you in with us today in this second hour of our program. Great conversation in the first hour. Two great conversations talking some politics uh, with Danielle Moody and uh, spent some time talking about AI and its impact on the finance uh, sector with Everett Sands, the CEO of Lindustry. In our third and final hour today, Cedric the Entertainer has got a new book out. He's the first of the kings of comedy uh, to put out a novel. And so Cedric uh, joins us live uh, in our third hour today. But in this hour, uh, in fact, on this day, September 18th, 1895, Booker T. Washington delivered his uh, powerful and renowned Atlanta Compromise speech, often referred to as the Atlanta Exposition speech, during the opening of the Cotton States and International Exposition uh, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, he was serving, of course, as the founding president of uh, what we now know as Tuskegee uh, uh, College. Uh, Washington achieved the historic milestone of being the first African-American man to address a racially diverse Southern audience. In his address, he imparted a message of hope, urging those of his race to focus on improving their conditions uh, in their current surroundings and fostering amicable relationships with the Southern white community. His philosophy emphasized, as you know, self-help, political gradualism, and accommodation as a means to address racial tensions resonating at the time with both white and black Americans who were fatigued by the violence and turmoil of the Reconstruction era in the South. Dr. Sarah Washington O'Neill Rush is the great-granddaughter of Booker T. Washington, and uh, as you might imagine, she draws profound inspiration from her great-grandfather's enduring legacy, and I'm pleased to have her on the program to talk not just about his work, but indeed her work uh, specifically as it relates to character education and a new workbook curriculum that she has authored called 16 Success Principles, Being, Growing, Leading, Soaring. Uh, Dr. Washington O'Neill Rush, good to have you on this program. How are you today? Hello. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm doing well. Wonderful. Um, glad to have you on and glad we have an hour to, to sort of talk about these things. L- let me start with yes. this. Um, obviously, uh, Booker T. Washington, as I mentioned, is your, is your great-grandfather. Uh, and right. I wonder, in retrospect, how you process all of the conversation still about Washington and Du Bois and the critique of Washington, specifically um, for his notions of, as I said earlier, political gradualism and accommodation. Um, these debates are as as uh, as uh, spirited now uh, as they have been for 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 decades about Booker T. Washington's philosophy. Uh, when you hear people engage in those conversations uh, in the media, or when you find yourself in these conversations, how do you read the critique of your great grandfather uh, all these years later? Okay. Well, first of all, that's a great question, and I. I would say probably 90, 90% of what I hear, and I, I've just been really following this for the last 30 years, and I can talk a little bit more about that, how mm-hmm. I came upon knowing more about my great-grandfather only as an adult. Sure. But, but in the last 30 years, I've known, and, and so in that time, probably 90% is positive, and then there's that 10% that can be negative, and it's not only because he's my great-grandfather, but I think because I believe in what he did, mm-hmm. it can be really disheartening. And I find most of the time it's from people that may be a little bit uninformed. And I 
So even Du Bois, you know, if you if you look at the critiques of him from Du Bois in Souls of Black Folk, mm-hmm. and um, and he still pays him great homage, mm-hmm. and. He, you know, in in between or at the end of that chapter on Booker T. Washington, where he criticizes uh, what you know him being quiet, he wanted him to speak up a little more. They used to at one time they were on the same page, and even after the Atlanta, I didn't I didn't pick up on the the uh, the exposition speech being on September the eighteenth. So so thank you for that. Mm-hmm. But but he after that speech. The boys wrote a letter, and all of this is documented. Mm-hmm. And he a short letter to Washington because again they were friends. And he said he congratulated him and said that it was a phenomenal success, mm-hmm. and that it was a word fitly spoken. But as things didn't happen the way both of them thought they would in the time that it should have happened, the boys was growing more and more frustrated, and they did eventually part. Mm-hmm. But another. I don't know if you'll allow me, there, there's a quote in, in the Souls of Black Folk when he's criticizing Washington. He also says, so far as Mr. Washington preaches thrift, patience, and industrial training for the masses, we must hold up his hands and strive with him, rejoicing in his honors and glorifying in his strength of this Joshua called of God and of man to lead the headless host, which was the the masses, and he referred to him as being sincere and earnest, and, and and they both knew that most of the controversy came from their followers more than the two of the, mm-hmm. them. I think they had great respect, but they disagreed yeah. as time went on, and I think we do a disservice uh, as we continually pit one against the other even more than they did it. You know, we weren't mm-hmm. there, sure. but uh, the 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 Netflix film, Madam C.J. Walker film, where he Booker T. Washington was grossly mischaracterized as a misogynist, and it had to do with her wanting to speak at the National Negro Conference, mm-hmm. and he refused at first, and she was persistent, and when he heard her, he was so impressed that that he, uh, he invited her back the next year to be a speaker, and they became friends and business associates. And when he, they dedicated a school, uh, MCA in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. and he, he did the dedication speech. She had a car pick him up. She invited him to stay in her home, which he did. But they don't say all of that, so they leave us pitted and divided. Yeah. And I think we do a disservice to ourselves. No, I know I, that was a mouthful. No, no, it's a mouthful, but I, I take your point. Um, let me do this. When we come forward, there are a couple of questions I want to ask right quick um, uh, about political gradualism and accommodation. I sometimes wonder whether or not Booker T. Washington gets a, a bad rap. Um, given how we see political gradualism and accommodation in real time versus what he was up against in that time, uh, I want right. to so, sort of probe that, number one. Number two, I, I certainly want to get more into your backstory about how you learned about your great-grandfather and your connection to him only as an adult. Uh, I want to hear that story. Right. And, of course, we'll work our way through this hour and talk about your 16 success principles, being, growing, leading, and soaring. It's going to be a great hour just getting started with the great-granddaughter, Booker T. Washington, Dr. Sarah Washington O'Neill Rush, who you're listening to right now on Tavis Smiling. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Sounds different, huh?
This, this is Travis Smiley. Smiley. Just getting started in this hour with Dr. Sarah Washington O'Neill Rush, who is the great-granddaughter of Booker T. Washington. Why is she on today? Because on this date, September 18th, 1895, Booker T. Washington delivered delivered uh, uh, his renowned Atlanta Compromise speech, often referred to once again as the Atlanta Exposition speech. Uh, and uh, I wanted to spend some time sort of unpacking that uh, and catching up with his great-granddaughter and how she's extending his legacy in her own work, specifically in the area of uh, character education, about which I have some questions when we get to that later in this hour. For now, though, as I said a moment ago, I, I wanted to uh, spend some more time probing this notion advanced by Booker T. Washington in this speech uh, on this day in 1895, where he talks about political gradualism, emphasizes, and in fact encourages, <clears throat> excuse me, the notion of political gradualism and accommodation as a means to address racial tensions. Let me give you a quote uh, from this speech. To those of my race who depend on bettering their condition in a foreign land, or who underestimate the importance of of cultivating friendly relations with the Southern white man, I would say, cast down your bucket where you are. Cast it down in making friends in every manly way of the people of all races by whom we are surrounded. Close quote. That's Booker T. Washington on this date in 1895, encouraging black folk to make friends in every manly way of the people of all races, by whom we are surrounded. Here you, here you get this notion of accommodation, this notion of political gradualism. I raise this, uh, Dr. Rush, because I wonder oftentimes whether or not um, when we look at Booker T. Washington through a real-time lens, um, we would not abide that in this moment. We would we'd not abide that notion of political gradualism. Dr. King, of course, comes years after Booker T. Washington and writes a book called Why We Can't Wait. Dr. King comes years after Booker T. Washington and says um, that change does not roll in on the wheels of inevitability. So King pushes back against this notion years later of political gradualism. Uh, and then, of course, there's a the notion of accommodation. I heard you say earlier that mostly when people talk to you about your grandfather, your great grandfather, rather you hear positive things. And I'm glad to hear that. But there is this 10 percent that you mentioned that that raised these issues and have a serious critique of, of, of your great-grandfather. So in that regard, um, on the notions of political gradualism, accommodation, and the quote that I just shared, uh, my question is simply this. I wonder whether or not you think that Booker T. Washington often gets judged perhaps too harshly given where we are today uh, as um, relatively free black folk in America and the conditions he found himself in then. Does that make sense as a question? I think so, and I guess you can tell me if I'm answering you the right way. I, I heard a lot in there, mm -hmm. and the way my mind my mind races, so I think about this, that, that, sure. and so I may get off track, and you can bring me we'll, back we'll, in. But we'll work through it. We'll work through it together. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. And and so for the cast down your buckets where you are, my immediate thought there was my son owns a barbershop in East Oakland, and he rents out a a an office to a friend, and his friend is an artist, and he works with uh, youth mm -hmm. in the community. And so he rented out the office, so the friend brings in a painting, not knowing that my son is the great-great-grandson of Booker T. Washington, and it was a painting of Booker T. Washington, and he's casting, he has a, a bucket that's being cast down on, on the painting. And he said with that 
quote meant to him was to to do the and this is what I hear often mm-hmm. is to do the work where you are sure. to, to serve where you are mm-hmm. and and that's exactly what he does and he said that was the most inspiring quote actually that he got out of the exposition speech as far as then and now mm-hmm. we're, we are in definitely different times and and again my first time at Tuskegee University was as an adult, and I remember listening to, to well, no, I won't go there, but it was as, a, as an adult, and so when I think about how Booker T. Washington, born a slave, and at that time it was illegal for blacks or, to learn to read or mm-hmm. write, mm-hmm. and they, they, they could, it was a crime, and it was a crime punishable by death, by and death so that's yes. something that he always wanted, and he he, he went through a lot more than we have time to talk about in order to get an education. And he believed that that was the way, the way up. So he was going to do whatever. And so, you know, I'm amazed at what he and other ancestors, and I am in, I'm inspired by what they were able to do then with much worse conditions when, when it was okay to, to, to um, lynch and, and different things. And I think, and I know that's why Booker T. Washington was quiet back mm. then because all he was concerned about was Tuskegee, but not only Tuskegee, he was instrumental in the Rosenwald schools mm-hmm. for education, and, he, and, and they built over 5,000 schools that I believe they educated over a third of the South um, during those time well at, he died before they were all built he he partnered with Julius Rosenwald who was the president of Sears of Sears and Roebuck mm-hmm. and those schools they educated people like Maya Angelou um uh congressman John Lewis the, mm-hmm. the you know different people and so and then the Lorenberg Institute which is in North Carolina where I am now he was instrumental in getting that school open and so all he was about was education and not just education when the when they came they thought they were going to get get out of working because you know after so many years hundreds of years of slavery they thought we're getting educated and he had other ideas he said oh no we're going to work hard we're going to build our buildings there were no buildings we're going to grow our food and we are going to change our lives and there's a book called Christian business legends that says by, I believe it was 1901, Tuskegee had produced more self-made millionaires than Harvard, Princeton, and Yale combined. And it, it's because of, of trades are, are different. Um, A.G. Gaston was someone who was influenced by Booker T. Washington and named many, he was a black millionaire who oh, yes. named many of his companies after <clears throat> Booker T. Washington, the burial insurance company, the insurance company, the business school. And so a lot came out of what he was doing then. I don't think, and I don't think he would think right now that, that we should still be there, and we are not still where we were right. then. And I think we've made a lot of Strides with with black president, black vice president, and, and different, mm. you know, from, from where we yeah. are now. I don't know if I'm answering that. No, 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 no. You you are. Um, I, I the, the point I was pressing toward, and you you've addressed a lot, and I'm glad you said everything you've you've, you've offered. Uh, what I was pressing mm-hmm. toward was whether or not we think that Booker T. Washington gets judged too harshly, um, looking at I him do. through a real time lens. 
Um, his notions of political gradualism, his notions of accommodation are things that we wouldn't abide today. Uh, again, right. I referenced King in his book, Why We Can't Wait. And so that those right. notions, those notions wouldn't work today. I think you said something earlier, though, that uh, that, that resonates with me. Whether whether one agrees or disagrees with Booker T. Washington's notion of gradualism politically and accommodation then as a means to address racial tensions, one thing is certain. Both he and Du Bois didn't realize it was going to take as long as it took. Uh, and by that, mm -hmm. I mean, here we are in 2023 and we are still <laughs> we are still not where we ought to be uh, in, in this country. I, I, I digress on that point. So both of them were sort of bamboozled, if we can put it that way, uh, by how long it took. Uh, in fact, as you well know, you, you, you sort of intimated this earlier. Du Bois eventually just left the country. At least your great grandfather exactly. never left. Du Bois just gave up. And said, I'm out of yeah. here. This is not working. It's taking too long. And he moves to Accra, Ghana. Uh, and that's where, a book, mm -hmm. that's where uh, Du Bois spends his remaining years. Dies, of course, in Accra, Ghana. Right. And for those of you history buffs, uh, because of the, 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 the time uh, and, the, and the span, uh, uh, geographically, the span between Ghana and the United States, uh, uh, Du Bois had died in Ghana. And the news of his death came much later uh, but it arrived literally during the March on Washington. Uh, as you know, just a few days ago, we commemorated, celebrated yeah. the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington, 60 years later. Uh, it was during that march um, that the country and black people writ large heard the news announced at the March on Washington that Dr. Du Bois had died in Accra, Ghana. Now, if that ain't something that gives you goosebumps, I don't know what will. That this movement, this movement that's in part possible because of all the great work that Du Bois had done as the first black person to get a Ph.D. from Harvard and all that Dr. Du Bois had done with the Crisis Magazine and all his great books, uh, to, for, for the news to come literally during the March on Washington announced from the podium by A. Philip Randolph uh, that uh, Du Bois had passed away in Ghana is always a moment for me. For those who didn't know the story, now you know it. You can share it with others. But I love reminding people of uh, of that uh, that interesting note in history um, connecting Du Bois to the March on Washington. Uh, I, I, I'll leave that where it is. Um, but my point is that, that Du Bois had enough of it, and he ultimately just left. So for both Booker T. Washington, your great-grandfather, and Du Bois, uh, the change was too long in coming, so we'll leave we'll leave that where it is. Let me let, let me let me pivot now, um, if I can, before I move into your work in character education, uh, in the spirit of your great grandfather. T tell me uh, what what you meant when you suggested earlier that you didn't really come into the full knowledge of your relationship to Booker T until your adult years, Doctor Rush. Sure. When when people learn that I'm the great granddaughter of Booker T Washington, generally. Uh, the first impression or assumption is that I grew up in some type of royal upbringing, but it was quite the contrary. Most, much of what led to what I speak and write about today was born out of my personal experience of overcoming tremendous odds. I grew up or growing up without my dad and my mother who at time my mom was the granddaughter of Booker T. Washington, and at times she was working two jobs just to make ends meet and keep a roof over our head. Mm. By the time I was 16, I was a single teenage mother. I was living on my own by 17 in public housing in deep East Oakland while raising my son alone and on welfare and trying to finish high school. 
and I was in and out at the time of an emotionally and sometimes physically abusive relationship with my son's dad, who was a drug dealer, and frankly, he was his, he, he was his own best customer. He finally left for good when my son was two, and the next time we'd see him again was at 17. So as you can imagine, a lot went on before, after, and in between all of that mm-hmm. journey and the journey of my rising above my circumstances. But in the interest of time, I'll just share that the, the main drivers that, that, that got me to where I am or got me away from where I was was in, in this order was counseling, a relationship with Christ, and learning the depths of my family history during a visit to Tuskegee University for the first time. Mm-hmm. And all of this happened in my 30s. Until then, I was pretty much lost and confused and looking for myself in all the wrong places. Mm-hmm. And so the way I got to Tuskegee as an adult, my mom was born and raised across the street from the university, and some would say that she lived a life of royalty, she and her three sisters, because she was born, she was the firstborn, and she was born four years after he died. Mm -hmm. She was born in 1919, and now she's buried there on the cemetery lawn where he and and George Washington Carver and others, her parents and other prominent people are buried. But she didn't talk about it. We moved to California when, um, or we didn't move to California. I was born in California during the 60s when she, when when the Black Panthers were probably a, a stone's throw away from mm-hmm. where we lived. But my mom didn't talk about it much. And my dad, though, he bragged about it. Mm-hmm. But they weren't together. They had a very broken, tumultuous relationship. And he would brag about it, but he wouldn't tell us why he was bragging about it. So we would just get embarrassed. And it wasn't until... One of my cousins, when I was in my 30s again, decided he wanted his daughter to know about the, the legacy. So we planned a family reunion. And when we got on the campus, there were people that were there. They, were, they wanted autographs, photographs. They just wanted to touch us, to talk to us. All. And my mom was alive at the time. It was in 96, and she died in 99. And I'm like, Mama, what is this? And so... You know, the the thing that I was most fascinated about by were there were buildings, and I believe they're still in use today, they were then, that were built by Booker T. Washington and his students who were all former slaves. And they, made, they didn't only build and erect the buildings, but they made the bricks. And some people say he just wanted people to be slaves. Well, they had to learn mathematics, mm-hmm. architecture. Robert Taylor, the first black architect that was enrolled, in MIT, he was over the program to build the. So he brought in the brightest, the biggest and the brightest minds to teach these students. Again, George Washington Carver. He even invited Du Bois before they split to, mm-hmm. to, to work there, but it, they were beginning to part and Du Bois declined. But at any rate, um, where was I going with it? So, so this is what turned my life around. You know, I came home. Because before then, again, I was lost and confused and trying to figure it out and looking for things in, in all the wrong places. And, but then I was ignited, and I'm like, wow, you know, they were, they were former slaves, and, and they were able to do all of this. And so I wanted to help youth learn 
about their ancestry and their genealogy and, and to go back and, and to gain some strength. Let me cut. Let so me cut. They let, keep moving. Yeah. Let, no, no, yeah. Let, let me cut in right there because that's, <clears throat> excuse me, let me cut in right there because that's where I want to uh, pick up and continue the story when we come forward. Okay. Um, because um, I'm, I'm fascinated. I know the audience is to hear the story of the great granddaughter, Booker T. Washington, and all that you had to endure uh, growing up in Oakland. Uh, it's it's quite the story. Um, it's hard for people to imagine that somebody enduring that could be a part of that kind of royalty, as you put it. So, well, I, w- I want to probe that when we come forward. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis, Tavis Smiley. Rank number 45 on the heavy hundred list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Indeed, uh, our guest uh, in this hour is Dr. Sarah Washington O'Neill Rush. In case you just tuned in, um, she is the great-granddaughter of Booker T. Washington, and we are having her on, uh, have her on our program today in part because uh, of her own work, which we'll get to in a moment here, uh, but primarily because uh, on September 18th, this date in 1895, her great-grandfather delivered his very renowned his famous Atlanta Compromise speech, often referred to as the Atlanta Exposition speech. We've been sort of um, uh, uh, deconstructing that speech, uh, some of what he had to say that day about uh, his emphasis on self-help and political gradualism and accommodation as a means to address racial tensions uh, in that particular era. Um, She has a workbook and curriculum uh, in her space of character education, which we'll talk about a little bit later in this hour, called 16 Success Principles, Being, Growing, Leading, Soaring. I raise the the, the title of that book because that, that, that notion of 16 Success Principles, Being, Growing, Leading, and Soaring, comes uh, courtesy of a life uh, with some hardships in it. And I was struck, and of course I knew the story um, preparing for this conversation, but I was struck when I first learned of it, and I suspect many of you were when you first heard it moments ago, that the great-granddaughter of um, someone as well-known, royalty in fact, Booker T. Washington, could have such a a rough um, upbringing uh, in Oakland. Uh, And um, I wonder if I can ask uh, Dr. Rush um, how you process being a part of this grand legacy uh, a part of this family, and having nonetheless had to endure what you did growing up in Oakland. Sure. So, to be clear as well, my mother she had three sisters, and so I have I had fifth. I had well, there are sixteen of us all together, mm-hmm. great grandchildren, and fourteen come from Ernest Davidson, who was my mother's father. And so most of them, just about all of them, they lived a different life, and they they went straight to college. Mm-hmm. They we have doctors, lawyers, uh, master's degrees. Just most of my family, and but my you know, and I kind of looked through everything sort of in a biblical lens, and I believe that there was a purpose for me growing up the the way that I did, so that I could see another side, so I could see both sides, Mm -hmm. and so I I grew up near poverty, I raised my son near poverty, and I just believed that, you know, it was divine order, and then by going to Tuskegee and seeing what they did and changing my life, and then coming back and trying to, to help others rise 
above. But my mom, she met my dad. He was actually, he graduated from Texas Southern University in law school. But my dad started drinking, and he said that, his, you know, he, there was discrimination that he faced in 1938, graduating from law school and not being able to pass the bar. Mm-hmm. And my mom would joke and say it was because he couldn't pass a bar. Mm-hmm. But... But my, um, but right, but but they met. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. You could not pass a bar. <laughs> which, which I think they both had some truth to them. He was a kappa. He ran a kappa house. He did, you know. Yeah. And and he and my mom tumultuous again. But he, they met on a ship. My mom came to Los Angeles to christen the Booker T. Washington ship. It was a U.S. Liberty ship. Mm-hmm. And that's where they met. And I think they thought it was going to go a different way, or at least my mom did, and it didn't. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I ended up. We ended up in Oakland. My dad began, became a, a beer salesman, and, you know, he kept drinking only on the weekend, but he drank a lot. And and then he ended up moving to Los Angeles when I was little, and I didn't see him again until I was an adult. But but I think it served its purpose, and I don't sure. think that I would want to do it over again if I had to, mm-hmm. because maybe I wouldn't have experienced the things and mm-hmm. been able to see and well, witness and be a part of. Well, it certainly it, without that experience, it certainly uh, could not have informed your 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 work. Um, this uh, this this workbook, sixteen success principles. You certainly couldn't be as <clears throat> as adept uh, as you are uh, talking about these issues had you not lived it. Uh, lived experience. Exactly. There, there, there's no replacement uh, for lived experience. And so I, I celebrate that part of your journey. What I really celebrate is that that trip to Tuskegee in your 30s got your mind right. Um, you got you on the right track. Uh, let me ask right. right quick. Let, let me ask right quick before I move forward. Um, sure. What you make of the impact? You've, you've sort of put your finger on it, but uh, the impact that Booker T. Washington's focus on education has had on your own family. I mean, in fact, that that's what turned your life around. Uh, yeah. But that's a beautiful thing to be a part of a, a family that has a legacy uh, that values education. Educate exactly, and, and you know, I think that. That was the one thing I remember my parents agreeing on that you you better get your education. Mm-hmm. And so, even though I was I was living in the projects in East in the projects in East Oakland, my school was way on the other side of town in North Oakland, and I would have to dress my son. And I ended up graduating six months ahead of my class, mm. and and because of I think that one area where my parents agreed that your education is the most important thing that you have. And so, and I kept going. I went the hard way. I ended up, uh, I think when I, when I got my bachelor's degree, I had two children and I was a single mother. So during part of it, I was married during part of it and then uh, to my daughter's father. But it, you know, I, I, I took the hard way around. But education has always been important to me, and I kind of promised my husband that after I got my doctorate that I won't go back to school. <laughs> but I love, I love school. I love learning. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I, think, I think a doctorate is enough. I'm, I'm glad you made that promise okay. to your husband. Yeah, I think, I, think, right. I, think, I think you've done enough at this point. Right. Let, let, yeah, let, well, let, good thing I'm afraid of, of wounds because I go get my medical degree. <laughs> yeah, I, But uh, go ahead. No, yeah. let, 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 let me ask um, what it is about your experience um, that has made you focus your attention on the needs of others. Sure. I, I 
I've always had a passion for for my people first. I've always had a passion for helping them to uplift, even before Booker T. Washington. My my heart's always ached at some of the things that that have happened over the years, or that I've witnessed, or or that I've seen. And so, any part that I can do to to change that, or to contribute it to to contribute to making life better. That's where my purpose lies, and and I think it's to encourage individuals or groups of in, individuals to prepare for the difficulties that they're going to undoubtedly face. Mm-hmm. We all face in life or in the world uh, by strengthening heart, mind, yeah. body, and spirit. What, what 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 have you learned, and what what would you share with this audience listening right now about being a slow starter? Um, I believe it's not where you start; it's where you end. And sure, every, I mean, not, not every one of us comes. Not every one of us comes out the blocks, you know, uh, like Usain Bolt. Right. Um, sometimes, yeah. sometimes we discover it later in life. You didn't. You didn't get on the right track, as it were, as James Brown might say. You didn't get on the good foot. <laughs> on the good foot until you were in your thirties. What, 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 what would you say to folk though who are who are who are like like you were slow starters, and it's just taking them a mm-hmm. while to find their stride. Sure, I would just say to never give up. Number one. Never give up, and that there's a quote from my great grandfather. I'm probably gonna bludgeon it, but he said, uh, "Where you come, this is the gist of it. Mm-hmm. Where you come from doesn't matter as much as where you what you just said. Where you end up, mm-hmm. like, he's not as impressed by by where you come. No, your title is he is by what you had to do and go through to receive mm-hmm. that title. Yeah. So the depth on which you come." And so I would just say it's never too late. You know, I think about that dash often in between our, our birth date oh, and yeah. our death date oh, and how yeah. short it is. And I think that's really real. Life is so brief. So while you're here, do your part, whatever that part is, to figure out your purpose and, and make that little dash count. No, I've heard, some, I've heard a couple of great sermons about that, that it's not when you were born or when you died. It's all about that dash in the middle. Yeah. Uh, what what yeah. did you do? What did you do with and that And it goes dash? quick. Yeah. yeah, it seems like just yesterday I was saying I went to visit Tuskegee two weeks ago, yeah. and now it's 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So no, it's it a, goes it's a, quick. It's a beautiful story um, how, you, um, how you've uh, turned your life around and, and uh, went on to get uh, your your bachelor's and your master's and your doctorate. Now you're writing books and helping other people. And when we come forward, we'll come right to that. Um, her her workbook curriculum okay. is called 16 Success Principles, Being, Growing, Leading, and Soaring. You're listening to the great-granddaughter of Booker T. Washington, Dr. Sarah Washington O'Neill Rush, right now on Tavis Smiling. Seeking the truth. The truth. Speaking the truth. This is the Tavis Smiley Show. Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. I read a book uh, many years ago, Dr. Rush, um, called Educating for Character, written by a guy named Thomas Lacona. Uh, That book is still in my library. I I love what he had to say. And essentially, what he argues for is uh, a values education curriculum in our schools. I don't need to unpack for you or this audience all the challenges that we're facing uh, trying to raise kids with character these days. But perhaps one of the solutions to that, since they spend a significant amount of time over their uh, a portion of their day in classrooms, 
Perhaps the answer in part is a values education curriculum. Before I get into your 16 success principles, your thoughts about whether or not, again, our society and our children in particular would be, would be benefited by a values education curriculum in our schools. I definitely think that they they would, and I would like to say I wrote the book down because I want to I want to order that book. But I, I, if I could just go back a little bit, I wanted to say I started out with a a AA degree. Mm-hmm. That was my first degree, and I just want to make sure what you were saying about the slow track people on the slow track that they know that there's nothing wrong with with the trades and mm-hmm. going to trade. Some of the, the most successful people I know got their uh, vocations from a trade school mm-hmm. so or or a community college so i just wanted to put that out there and, and that, that and that that's cons- and that's consistent with your dad with, with your great grandfather's uh, edict as well yeah yeah Dignity of work, all kinds oh, yes. of work, and to respect yep. people, no matter if they're the janitor or the CEO, and that's what I try to do, and I think my upbringing prepared me for that. Mm-hmm. But as far as the values, I think that's, that's, that's um, very important, and I think that, that our children, I worked for Student Attendance Review Board, and, and the children, they're... they're they're being sort of ignored while we fight over everything, the, the policies and all that. Mm-hmm. The kids are suffering, and I think if we paid more attention to them in yeah. areas where they could grow and strengthen, that would be, be a wonderful thing. I'm watching my clock here, uh, and I, let me just do sure. this. Uh, I don't want to ask you a question. They have to cut you off, so let me uh, say to you yeah. when we come forward, I want to spend our remaining uh, few moments talking about your 16 success principles, okay. being, growing, leading, and soaring. Our remaining moments with Dr. Sarah Washington, Washington O'Neill Rush, the great-granddaughter, Booker T. Washington, when we uh, come forward on Tavis Mom. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. What's up, party people? It's your favorite MC's favorite rapper, MC Light here. And we're celebrating 50 years of hip-hop, authentically powered by Cadillac. And we're going to take it way back to where it started. It was only fitting that hip-hop began with teenagers at a back-to-school jam in the rec room of a South Bronx apartment complex by an 18-year-old brother. By the way, I'm also sure he had a Cadillac parked outside. He noticed the energy on the dance floor when he switched between two turntables, extending the beats, repeating the breaks, and never losing the rhythms. And that was the birth of hip-hop. And from that moment, it took off. For more on how Cadillac is celebrating hip-hop's 50th, visit Cadillac.com forward slash audacity. When my family does Walt Disney World Resort, we do it big. Bippity-boppity big, like Cinderella Castle. Uh Uh-huh, big, like those juicy turkey legs from Gaston's Tavern. It doesn't get any bigger than the Tam Tam Drummers. (laughs) Get it, Grandma. (laughs) Uh Yeah, and big like Goofy's Kicks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's your world, so do it big at Walt Disney World Resort. Smart talk for curious people just like you. Just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. 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 All right, Dr. Sarah Washington, O'Neill Rush. Um, uh, in these remaining moments, I want to just uh, focus on your uh, your work 
your workbook specifically in your curriculum called 16 Success Principles, Being, Growing, Leading, Soaring. Talk to me about it. Sure. The, so the Being, Growing, Leading, Soaring, there are four quadrants, and under each is four success principles. And these principles, they were born out of my experience of overcoming odds, my training and profession professional experience in the mental health field and the insight I gained from the philosophies taught by my great-grandfather in the areas of character building, education, excellence, and leadership. And in some, some of the material, where there's material, there's exercises, there's activities, and there's information on self-awareness and building self-awareness and self-confidence, including a roadmap for tracing, tracing one's genealogy, which I think mm-hmm. is important, effective written and verbal communication, critical thinking, including instructions on how to conduct an organized debate, and physical and mental wellness. Those, that's the gist of the book. Mm-hmm. in the time that we have. And it's with the editor right now, and the name may even change a little bit. Yeah, now that book comes out uh, later this year. Uh, we're just getting uh, mm-hmm. getting uh, teed up on what to expect when it actually when it actually drops. Mm-hmm. I-, I wonder, right. <clears throat> since you mentioned genealogy, and of course we're, we've been talking this hour about your own genealogy and um, you being mm-hmm. in your 30s and learning a great deal more about your great-grandfather, Booker T. Washington, that your mother... Uh, who was his granddaughter? Didn't want to talk a whole lot about. It. Let me just ask you quick, right. a, a quick question in that regard. Why? Why was? She, why do you think um, your grandmother, your mother rather, uh, Booker T. Washington's mm-hmm. granddaughter? Why was she so 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 quiet about about mm-hmm. that legacy? You think? Yeah, I kind of alluded to it a little bit in the beginning that when it, when she was here in California because she was born in Tuskegee and then mm-hmm. she came from Washington D.C. to L.A. and then from L.A. to the Bay Area and the, and again the uh, that's when the Black Panthers were coming about they mm-hmm. weren't far in those days he was beginning to be thought of as an Uncle Tom okay. I can remember walking by the TV and Farrakhan was on and he said if we would have listened to Booker T instead of calling him an Uncle Tom we'd probably be a lot further along and so I, I that took a lot from that I'm like thank you and but I, I think that and the fact that my dad was so excited about him and they didn't get along about anything mm-hmm. I think that also contributed and she was modest and she believed you pick yourself up on mm-hmm. your own marriage you don't let, lean on someone with she said I didn't do anything you know that was what he did and she was a very 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 hard worker mm-hmm. and I think that that, that had and I wish she lived longer so I could talk more to her about this yeah um you since you mentioned genealogy um I have never mm-hmm. I've never talked to anybody uh and I mean not a single person uh who has ever done their genealogy search who was in right. some way not inspired by that search yeah. um even you, Oprah Winfrey yeah, yeah. And, you may, and, you, and you may you may find stuff in there that is untoward things that may make you raise an eyebrow or here or there but but yeah. but, but writ large I've never spoken to anybody right. who did a genealogy right. search who was not inspired by what they found, uh, and right. clearly, the more you dug into yours, the more you, the more inspired you were. So, I hear your point about encouraging people to do these genealogy searches. That's right. That's right, and that's what you know. My role in everything that I do is to help strengthen people's minds, bodies, spirits, and hearts, and I think that's an excellent way. Yeah. What yeah. do you um? So, uh, uh, well, I was going to tell a story, but I don't have time to tell a story. Let me just ask you this question. <laughs> what, 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 what do you think? Uh, what do you think uh, your great grandfather 
would think of you now, all that you've endured, all that you've accomplished, the work yeah. that you're doing to inspire and empower others. How might you, uh, what, what, do you, what do you hope at least, what do you think your great-grandfather mm -hmm. might think of the work and witness yeah. that you are presently engaged in? Well, I was going to say, I hope that he would be proud of me. And I, I actually, as he did, every time before a speech, he would pray. And I pray, and I even prayed about this, this interview with you, with, with Mr. Tavis Smiley, that he would give me some words to say, or at least some support mm -hmm. as I come on your show. So, so I hope that he would be proud of me and that my mom would be proud of me and all my ancestors. And yes. Yeah. And, I, and I, I hope that you are not as shy uh, as your mother was about sharing with your your uh, your children <laughs> and, and, and grandchildren and offspring. I hope right. that you're not shy about telling them the Booker I'm T. Washington not. story. Yeah. Right. I'm not at all. And I, I, I push I push them to read up from slavery and mm. to read the books and to at least be informed before you make it. Be informed. Don't listen to hand me down. This is what happened. You mm -hmm. read it for yourself. Research it for yourself. Yeah. And so I think I've done a good job at that. Well, let me close by saying what a great honor it's been to have you on this program. And let me further say that uh, your great-grandfather came through for you today because you, uh, you've been, it's been a great conversation. He gave you what you needed to get through this. And I, I, Thank I, you. I, I am humbled. Dr. Sarah Thank Washington O'Neill Rush is the great-granddaughter of Booker T. Washington. If you have never heard or read his uh, renowned Atlanta Compromise speech given on this date, September 18th and 1895. Uh, today would be a good day to, to Google it and research it and read it uh, since this is a, a historic occasion. So um, uh, no time like the present to get caught up on this great speech, uh, sometimes referred to as the Atlanta Exposition Speech. Either way, you'll find it online. Uh, I encourage you to read this great speech from Booker T. Washington given on this date in 1895. Dr. Rush, thanks for coming on. All the best to you. I Thank appreciate you. Thank you so much. My great honor to have you on the program.